Hi, and welcome to Mogul's Interview Series. I'm your host, Jessica Lips, and it's my honor to introduce our next guest, Joe Morton. Given the massive success of ABC's hit TV show Scandal, you likely best know Joe by the name of his character, Eli, or Papa Pope, the father to Carrie Washington's Olivia Pope. But this talented actor has years of TV and film experience beyond Scandal seasons, and we get to speak with him today. Joe, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Of course. It's our pleasure. With all of our guests, I'd like to start at the very beginning. So where were you born? I was born in Harlem, New York. Did you grow up in New York? I'm, I'm an army brat. So I was born in New York. I was never raised there. I lived in Okinawa. I lived in Japan for a short period of time. I lived in Germany for a short period of time and Massachusetts until I was about 10. Then I came back to New York, lived in New York for maybe a year or so. Then we moved to Queens. Then we moved to Long Island while I was going to college. And once I got into this business, I was traveling again. A life on the road. How did your experiences abroad impact your life? There are lots of actors who are either diplomats, children, or army brats as I am. And first of all, you learn to see the world in a very different way because you're seeing lots of different people and lots of different cultures. You get very used to moving into new situations, making new friends. Change is something that's easier for people like me than people who have been in one place most or all of their lives. So the experience was amazing. I'm glad to have had it. That is incredible. So when you were a kid, did you know that you wanted to be an actor? No, not at all. I thought I wanted to be in the military like my dad, as mostly I wanted to learn how to fly jet planes and become a pilot in the Air Force. But when I was in high school and I took exams for the Air Force Academy, I found out when I took my physical that I needed to wear corrective lenses. And you can't wear glasses and be a pilot. You can be a navigator, but you can't be a pilot. So I kind of left that dream behind and entered Hofstra University in Long Island as a psychology major, and then very quickly dropped that and decided I wanted to become an actor. So you decided that there was one part of the military that you couldn't do for physical reasons, but you didn't yes. want to go into another area of the military. Instead, you thought, okay, if I can't do this one thing, I'll just try something entirely different. Yeah, I mean, I think I was going into the military because I was trying to be like my dad. I thought that's what I wanted to do. And even as I entered Hofstra as a psychology major, I literally changed my major the very first day of orientation. Because uh, by the time I got to college, I'd been playing music and writing songs. And the very first day of orientation, they took us around the campus and then they took us into the theater to show us a skit about what our first year might be like. And then when the skit was over, I literally could not get up out of my seat. I just sat there thinking, I like music, I like to sing, I like writing songs, maybe I could be an actor. And I walked out of the theater over to the registrar's office and changed all my majors from psychology to drama. And then what happened? Then you got cast in shows in college and thought maybe this was right for you? I had wonderful teachers. I learned a tremendous amount about acting and about the theater. Getting parts was a bit of a struggle, although on some levels I was lucky, on some levels I wasn't. I was the only black male in the theater department. This is the mid-60s, and I kind of always had to fight the idea that because I was black, I couldn't play this part and I couldn't play that part for whatever reasons I was told. And finally, a part came up that I thought I could play in a Brendan Behan play called The Hostage, which is about Irish-English, and I wanted to play the Englishman who is being held hostage by the IRA, only to be told by that particular teacher that, no, I would quote-unquote color the play. 
So that was sort of the last draw. And I left school with this particular teacher's blessing, actually. He gave me some names of agents that I should contact when I left school, which I did, and started working as a professional actor in 1969. Tell us about that. Were you working in New York at that time or Los Angeles? I was. I was working in New York. Um, The very first play I ever did was about a revolution in Haiti. I did that at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And then I did a terrible musical um, called A Month of Sundays at the Theater de Lise downtown in New York. That got me my equity card. And I remember the review for that particular play was, it's early in the season, uh, but the first turkey has hit off-Broadway. I think we must have opened around October or November. So you had this play that was off-Broadway. You get your equity card. What happens next and how does music fit into that? I think after that play closed, I didn't get work for maybe another six months. I think the next thing that happened may have been a Shakespeare play in Connecticut. Ultimately, what happened was by the end of 1969, I auditioned for Hair on Broadway. They had already opened the year before, and I managed to get in. I did that for about a year and a half on Broadway. That's so great. Skipping ahead by a number of years, since the show that just came off the air that's on everyone's minds and in our hearts is Scandal. I kind of want to fast forward to that and talk a little bit about the show. The only thing I wanted to say was you said that the character's name was Papa Pope. The character was never called Papa Pope on the show. The character was only ever called Papa Pope in social media. It was either Eli or Rowan, Eli Pope or Rowan, Rowan being his command name. Um, and Eli Pope was his actual name. But Papa Pope came about vis-a-vis Twitter. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Who started it? Uh, I think I may have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Think, I'm not sure exactly, um, but I think somebody said something. I remember when I first got onto Twitter, I may have said something about being Papa Pope um, in response to someone, and it stuck. So that's where that came from. Oh, okay. It's funny. I actually had to go back and revise my introduction because at first all I wanted to call you was Papa Pope. And then I realized, no, I should probably say Rowan or Eli. And and so I added those in. But but I know you as Papa Pope, which means that probably so many other viewers do too. So that's like an affectionate way of referring to the character. Um, Oh, absolutely. When people see me on the street, that's what they say. They they say, you know, they, they call me Papa Pope, which I love. Do you miss the show? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, the the cast pretty much stays in touch with one another. We have a group text that we use to sort of find out who's doing what and where. So um, that part of it's been nice. Um, Yes, in a way, I sort of missed the show, but now I'm doing Henry IV here in L.A. at the Japanese Gardens, and um, that has completely captured my attention. Mm, Tell us about that. How did that come up? I got a call from my agent saying they were doing this particular play out here with um, Dan Sullivan directing and Tom Hanks playing Falstaff, and they were offering me the part of Henry IV. I read what Dan had put together, because what he's done is he's taken Henry IV as usually two plays, part one and part two. Mm -hmm. He took both parts and he put them together as one play. And after I read his cuts and additions, I loved what he did, and I said yes. Mm. Um. How long ago was that? When when do people start preparing for plays? Well, we started uh, rehearsal early in May. We rehearsed for six weeks. So I guess I knew about that maybe two weeks before that. Oh, gosh, that's a short amount of time to learn all of those Shakespearean lines. I mean, I learned what I needed to learn during rehearsal in the six weeks. 
what's the process for learning your lines? How do you commit all these things to memory? Um, it's a very kind of emotional thing. What I do, there are five questions I ask myself for almost every line in any play or any uh, television show or movie that I might be doing. Uh, sometimes it's almost for every word. And those five questions are, who am I? Where am I going? Who do I expect to meet? And the last two questions are the most important. What do I want? And to what extent am I willing to go to get what I want? Mm. You do that for every line in the show? Pretty much every line that I have, yes. Do you physically write it out or do you think about the answers uh, to those questions? It's gotten to the point where it's a combination of both. Sometimes I'll actually write it out. Sometimes I'll, I can just write, quote unquote, the answer. And even writing it out doesn't mean that I've found the ultimate solution at the beginning. And so the process continues. I continue asking those questions during the rehearsal or during whatever time I have. Because the more you do it, the more you sort of speak those lines out loud you begin to discover other things that may have been somewhat hidden in the dialogue. So it's, it is a process. Yeah, that's a lot of work. I find that fascinating, and I'm amazed that you can do that in such a short period of time of just a few weeks. Um, so I am curious. You said that at the beginning of your career, you you started with Shakespeare. You had a play pretty early on, and now here we are at Shakespeare again. Have you done other Shakespearean plays in between? Have you done other work to kind of prepare you for today? I played the Duke and uh, Measure for Measure um, at the park in New York. Uh, I've played Taliban twice. Once was um, uh, up at Stratford, Connecticut. Uh, Gerald Friedman was the director. And then the second time was at Shakespeare and Company um, up in Massachusetts. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, when I did it the second time with Shakespeare and Company, uh, Kristen Linklater was one of the founders of that company. She wrote a book called Voice for the Theater. She's very well known within the theater community. And at that time, I met her son, Hamish Linklater, who was at the time, was maybe he was five or six, who was now playing my son in Henry IV. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's unbelievable. That's really full circle. Um, Absolutely. Wow. So have you found um, that your past experiences of doing Shakespeare shows have led into or influenced this current run? Oh, absolutely. You know, the more you do it, the more you you become accustomed to and how to um, use the language, because um, uh, that's obviously the tricky part. Because there's a meter that's involved, uh, an iambic pentameter, so five beats makes it for a regular line. So it's learning how to do the poetry so that it all makes sense, because you're also dealing with language that's not exactly the way we speak English today in modern times. So it's finding a way to make that language sound contemporary, which is a wonderful thing to attempt. What are you enjoying most about the show? What are you enjoying? What do you think audiences would enjoy? Tell us about your experience working on it. It's great. This cast is amazing. Um, as I say, it's myself and Tom Hanks plays Falstaff. Hamish Linklater plays Hal. Rondi Reed plays Mistress Quickly. I mean, this cast from top to bottom is, is just an amazing group of people who bring a great deal of clarity and a great deal of creativity to the play. So for all of us, it's been a complete joy. This group has become so much of a family that one of us um, had his car parked where he lives. Some drunk person who had also stolen a car smashed his car. And then we went on to GoFundMe um, so that we could raise money for him to buy another secondhand car. So that's how close this company of actors has become over the last eight weeks. 
Mm, that's yeah. that's just the best, right? That's such a gift when um, when a company comes together in that way. That's absolutely. Beautiful. It's beautiful. This play goes until July second, and then just a few months later, we can see you again in a new TV show on CBS. That's right. Uh, we start shooting God Friended Me um, on July seventeenth. So, what's this new show? Tell us about it. God Friended Me is a show that is about a young man who is an atheist who has a podcast and he talks about his atheism. Um, I play his father and I'm the uh, reverend at an Episcopal church. And the reason that my son is an atheist is that when he was eight years old, his mother had cancer and he prayed for a miracle and he got it um, without any sort of rhyme or reason. Suddenly the cancer disappears um, she's in full remission. Everything seems to be fine. And then she, after leaving the hospital, gets killed in a car accident. So he believes that God is a cruel being. And it took him some time to get there. But now as a young man, that's obviously the conflict between he and I. But I think the overarching um, thing about this, this series is forgiveness in a way, uh, finding ways to uh, bring people together, because what begins to happen to him is he begins getting friend suggestions on his Facebook page. For instance, he gets a friend suggestion to go friend someone called John Dove, who he doesn't know. And so he literally runs into John Dove on the street. The account that sends these friend suggestions is called God. So he's trying to figure out what this is all about. So he begins to follow John Dove, who then attempts to commit suicide by jumping in front of a subway train. And um, Miles, that's the character's name, my son, saves his life. And they don't have much time to talk about it, and John gets on the train and, and goes away. Over the course of a little bit of time, he manages my son, Miles, to uh, hook up with this woman named Kara, um, who is a young reporter. He tells her his story. Uh, they make a deal that eventually maybe she can write about the story. And the two of them together begin trying to find out where this God account originates. In the course of doing that, she gets hit by a car um, and it looks terrible. And suddenly this man, John Dove, steps out of a taxi cab, which was nearby, and turns out John Dove is a doctor and able to help in that moment. Hmm. So what will begin to happen is Miles' life gets pushed around by all of these friend suggestions. He begins to interact with people and makes kind of, every once in a while, he makes sort of baby steps towards maybe there is a God and then something else might happen so that um, he thinks, oh, no, 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 I'm just fooling myself here. It, it actually it turns out to be something else. So that's sort of how the series will go. I think there'll be a um, friend suggestion of the week, if you will, every week, and we'll, and we'll watch how... Uh, Miles and myself, I play Arthur, his sister, uh, and Kara, his kind of girlfriend, um, begin to interact with all these people. Mm, that sounds powerful. Uh, is it, it's more of a dramedy, right? That's exactly what it is. It is a dramedy. So there's so there's comedy involved. Yes. So there's some lightness to to these otherwise heavy topics. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, and, and it's a, again, it's a wonderful cast. Miles is played by Brandon. He's the young man who played on ABC's The Mayor. Oh yeah, yeah, great show. So he plays my son, um, the young man from uh, Life of Pi, do you remember that movie? Of course. Well, so the young man who played that particular character plays Miles' best friend. Um, 
The young woman who plays Tara is Violet. She, I believe, was on Flash. Um, so the cast is really wonderful. Uh, Marcos Siega is the director, and it's a group of really wonderful and talented uh, writers. That sounds amazing. How do you transition from going from seven seasons of a show that you are living and breathing to then doing a play and then taking on a brand new series where it could very well last as long? Don't you need a break? <laughs> one, I think uh, for most actors, when one thing closes, you're hoping that something else opens fairly quickly. Um, you know, we all go through that paranoia of we'll never work again. Um, and then I you think do? for this... You do? Really? You have, I, mean, I mean, after a while, you begin to have some faith that something will come up. Um, but, you know, things happen in cycles all the time. I mean, so you can't count on it. You have to kind of make sure you're, you know, beating the bushes and see, seeing whatever else might be out there. Um, two things came up for me pretty, pretty quickly, fortunately, and uh, this one is the one that I chose, again, because of the cast and because of the script and so forth. Um, but I think the change has to do with, one, something that actors do all the time. You go from one play to another, you go from one television show or one movie to the next, and it is very much like changing your costume or putting on different makeup, whatever it might be to inhabit a new character. So it is part of what we do in our careers. So you are active in stage, film, and TV. And also, uh, in Scandal, at least, you directed some episodes. Will you be directing again, do you think, in this new show, God Friended Me? Well, I've I've spoken to both CBS and to the production company, and it looks like um, at some point, yes, I will be able to direct on the new show as well. That's great. Where did directing come into the fold uh, along um, your journey? I think early on, even while I was in college, I directed plays uh, often, and I love directing. I love working with actors from that particular standpoint. Uh, I love creating the world, if you will. I, I directed on Eureka when we when we were on Sci-Fi. As you say, I directed on Scandal, and the hope will be to direct on uh, God Friended Me, and it looks like that's going to work out. So... I just, I mean, I love what it does, even though um, with television, it's easy for directors to simply become kind of uh, traffic cops in that you're just kind of telling people where to stand and where to move as opposed to character, because most directors come to TV thinking that the actors have been doing it for a while, they know who the characters are. But from my point of view, you need to, even with the story, decide from any number of different points of view how to tell that story. Um, the last thing I directed on Scandal had to do with Bellamy being in the White House and what was going on with her. So what I did was I started looking at lots of photographs of people who are in the White House, who are in the Oval. I looked at lots of photographs of, of Obama and Kennedy in particular in the Oval to get ideas of how I wanted to uh, shoot in the Oval, which led me to some other ideas. In that last episode, I found that having... A, a shot of Terry and Bellamy in profile talking to each other kind of in, increased the strength of their conversation and their bonding or their lack of bonding at the same time. So it's things like that that you go after that that make it creative and not just um, a gun for hire. Mm. And in the future, do you think that you will try to direct an entire piece? Is that something that is a dream of yours? Uh, I would love to, yes. There are pieces of film that I'd love to direct um, that I'm hoping will come to fruition somehow. 
And right now you have this stage show and then you have the CBS show upcoming. Is there anything else that you're working on simultaneously? Any projects that you're developing in the background or anything else we can look forward to? Yes, I'm developing a piece uh, with some other uh, friends of mine called Inside the Black Box, which will basically be like inside the actor's studio. But one major difference is that we'll be looking at what it means to be uh, an actor or a director or a writer or whatever producer from a black point of view. Uh, we'll be doing things like taking a script that, well, let's say, um, oh, I don't know, a script that's being done by by two white actors and giving it to two black actors to read just to see how the dynamic changes. And then talking about, like, if we had already been on the air, we would have talked about what Roseanne had to say. So the idea is to talk about being creative, but from a black perspective. I love this. And this will be shown on TV or by radio? Yes. or We're hoping to do this on a um, cable network so that people will feel a little bit freer in terms of expressing themselves. We don't have to deal with the FCC in terms of what can be said and, and how to say it, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that is so exciting. I hope that comes soon. I will look forward to watching out for that. Of all these different things that you're doing, you're, you're currently creating um, this new TV show, this new project. You, you've done film, you've done stage, you direct. Do you have a favorite or do you love it all? I just kind of love it all, I think. <laughs> it's great to love what you do, right? <laughs> I think, I mean, I tell my kids this all the time. The best thing in the world is to be paid for the thing that you love doing. Hmm. You know, and to that end, I feel like so many people look at you and they'll see, let's just give the example of the recent great success of Scandal, and they'll think, oh, he has it easy. This actor who's on this amazing series that's been around for seven seasons and he's done all these other things. Um, but I imagine that along the way you have encountered some challenges. And I wonder if you could speak to that and how you pull yourself out of those, those challenges and, and how you tackle them. When I first started in this business, there was, um, uh, as I said, it was, you know, the late 60s, early 70s. Um, and a lot of what would happen would be things like, uh, I remember I went in for an audition for a very famous director. And a friend of mine actually went in ahead of me. Um, uh, and while he was auditioning, this director uh, said to him, because this gentleman that I'm speaking about, had a voice very much like mine, a little bit more gravelly than, than mine, but beautiful tone, gorgeous, very educated young man. And this director said, well, can you just be black for me? And what he meant was to change the tone of your voice, to, to give it some regionalism, uh, as if that's the only way black people speak. And when he came out of the audition and he told me what was said, I went in and just berated this director for what he said and then decided I would not audition for this particular character or for this, this particular director. And I guess what I'm saying is that what I found is there was a great deal of racism as I was coming up through the ranks, if you will, and my best weapon was to confront it directly, um, to speak to it. And at the same time, I would not accept roles like um, pimps or uh, drug dealers or gangsters or things that were basically negative in those days. And those were the only things that were available for black actors, which is why I went back to the theater and did theater, or which is why I was glad when something like Brother from Another Planet or Terminator 2 came along. Good for you. Where where do you get that inner strength and um, that sense of conviction and what's right and being able to stand up for yourself and what you believe in? My father, while he was in the army, his job was to integrate the armed forces overseas, which meant that he, he and us showed up to whatever post he was assigned to 
racially unannounced. So suddenly there was a black man in their midst who had captain bars on his shoulders. Um, and a lot of the time he was given a great deal of grief as were we, my mother and I. Um, and I think that's where it comes from. You learn to stand up and speak up for what's right. Well, that's important. And thank you for doing that and for teaching others through through taking those stances. While we're talking about the challenges that you faced and how you've addressed them, I kind of want to segue into a question about advice for young actors, people who are trying to make it in the business and want to be creatives and do that for a career. What would you like to share with them? For young people who want to be actors, I would say make sure you get a good education. Um, there's nothing in the world worse than a dumb actor to be a sort of wide range in what you love and what you enjoy, um, but to stay educated and, and also to learn how to be an actor. People may have natural talent, but there is a process and there is a, a way of sort of approaching a role that is not only creative, but it's almost scientific. So those two things would be my the biggest advice. What, what I told my son, who was also an actor, is after he graduated from college, that he shouldn't go on the screen right away, that he should spend at least the first couple of years of his life as an actor doing theater. Because if you can do a part uh, eight times a week for a few months uh, and keep that role fresh um, and keep it alive and attractive, then after that, you're able to do anything. So that would be my advice. That is terrific advice. The last question that I'm going to ask is, do you think, will we ever see Scandal back again? I don't think so. Um, I know there has been talk about uh, Scandal the movie, but I think that's just something the cast is talking about. I don't think that's anything Shonda is involved in, but you never know. But you never know. Joe, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you very much. This is Jessica Lips for Mogul. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.